Hello, this is FTW with Imad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Imad Khan of Tom's Guide, and joining me today is Anis Free Palestine Asaf, a top professional Super Smash Brothers melee player from Ohio. Early last week, the forced expulsion of Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem became a spark which has led to what the UN and international observers fear is a war between a sophisticatedly armed Israel against much weaker Palestinian forces. As Jewish-Israeli families moved into the homes that Palestinians feel is being taken away due to a clerical error during the holy month of Ramadan, it quickly increased tensions. It seems a line was clearly crossed when Israeli police used tear gas to force worshippers out of Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in Islam, on the most important night of the Muslim holy month. While some have used the both sides are at fault fallback as a way to distance critical analysis of the situation, it should be noted that Israel is a far more powerful actor in this situation. As of recording, the Palestinian death toll is 122, with 31 being children. The Israeli death toll is seven, with one including a six-year-old boy and another a soldier. As the drastically more powerful actor of the two, Israel has greater ability to stop the cycle of violence. But the strength of explosives being used are toppling entire apartment structures, with the Middle East and North Africa at Amnesty International, a top human rights group, saying these strikes could amount to a war crime. But for the world, this cycle has become the norm. Violence flares up once every few years, only for it to settle down and go back to a tense, but more calm normal. Even then, that norm is very different depending on which side of the line people are on. On the Israeli side, there's drastically greater freedoms and benefits. On the Palestinian side, it's often been described as an open-air prison by residents. Regardless, whichever side you feel is justified in this almost war depends on what your goalposts are. And justification can be based on how far back in history you're willing to go and whether it still fits a, quote, statute of limitations, for lack of a better term. Asaf is of Palestinian descent and has been tweeting about what's been happening. Esports in general doesn't often wade into politics. For example, there's practically an unwritten rule not to criticize or antagonize China under any circumstance in fear of reprisal. The industry did come together after the death of George Floyd for the Black Lives Matter movement. But because of the politically charged nature of this situation, outwardly supporting or fundraising for the Palestinians, who are severely under-resourced, can be met with condemnation by many groups who will claim that any support is anti-Semitic. Anis, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate uh, the platform you've given me here. Sure. So first off, I do want to ask, uh, back in the day, you used to go by the tag Millhouse, but you changed your tag to Free Palestine in February of 2019. Can you explain why you made that decision? So there was a um, a trending esports topic on Twitter, which was very simple. It was just a hashtag, explain your tag. And it was, you know, um, coming around the FGC communities and Smash communities, and people were explaining why they had the tags they had. And when I saw that, you know, of course, I asked myself, why is my tag Millhouse? Which the answer is, is that Richard Nixon's middle name is Milhouse, and I thought that was really funny. Of course, I do not like Richard Nixon at all. I think he's a horrible president, but I thought it was funny, and so my tag was Milhouse. And then in that same moment, I thought about, well, that doesn't really mean anything to me. You know, I figured that out probably like sophomore year or freshman year of high school is like a funny gamer tag, but like Milhouse didn't stand for anything I cared about while I was reading all these different things of people's, you know, their tags and all this stuff. And I thought, what could I do with my tag that would mean something to me? And the second that using the tag Free Palestine came into my head, I haven't looked back. Mm. Uh, Can I ask you how old you are? I'm 22. So how old were you when tensions 
started to flare up again, like back in 2014. Well, I guess I would have been, what, 14 or so, 15. Um, I will say that, you know, um, coming back to a specific event doesn't really, I mean, I did have vivid memories because I was in Palestine um, in 2014 when they were very heavily shelling uh, Gaza. And, you know, all you would see every day on the news is just, you know, destruction after destruction, you know, people fleeing their homes. And then, you know, like you said, it's a cycle of violence and we're just seeing it again, you know, just yesterday, the day before, you know, right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, this goes back as far as, you know, I can even remember, you know, I've had thoughts of being in military checkpoints, trying to just traverse my home in Palestine before I even had a, you know, a conscious understanding of what checkpoints were or why I was in there. Why are we stopping, you know? And so this has been a part of, you know, to be Palestinian and to be who I am for so long that, you know, um, yeah, it's just been, it's just been there for so long. I've seen many Palestinians go on Twitter and talking about these checkpoints, but I think to somebody who hasn't had to go through these checkpoints, in my mind, it almost seems like, you know, stopping at a toll, uh, while on a toll road. Um, but I feel that that's probably not the correct analogy to use. I mean, could you kind of paint a picture of like what these checkpoints are like and why it's problematic, uh, at least to the opinions of many? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things, right, like you said, it could be like a toll road, but a toll road you go to so that you are able to use this, you know, this road or whatever it is at mm -hmm. a cost, right? Whereas checkpoints, um, the apartheid wall between the West Bank and Israel right now, all of those things and the many, many laws that tell Palestinians where they can or can't drive um, mm. has been a big factor in restricting movement. And the restriction of movement of the Palestinian people for so long is done by checkpoints, you know, like I said, walls, you know, there's certain highways, roads that only Israeli places are allowed to drive on. Yeah. Um, settlers in the West Bank will have certain roads that are, you know, very nice and paved. And of course, Palestinians aren't allowed to use that. So it's, it's not just, you know, say checkpoints, right? But the fact that they can bring a checkpoint in wherever to impede the movement of Palestinians how they like is is the issue, right? It's that, okay, well, they're moving from here to here. Well, we can stop them from moving, you know, they can stop us from moving wherever wherever and whenever. And, um, you know, like I said, it's done through so many different ways at this point that it all kind of meshes together. And that's really what the checkpoints are about, right? To say, okay, well, to see your family, you're going to have to stop and we're going to have to see everyone's passports get out of the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you've done nothing, you know, there's nothing that you could have done. It's, you know, forced upon you to stop, to wait, sometimes be told the road is closed just because you're Palestinian, etc. So it's just a complete restriction of movement that is done in so many ways, um, you know, and that's that's kind of how it is. Hmm. I mean, it's, it seems that, you know, calling it a minor inconvenience is uh, not the best way to describe it. I mean, could you, I guess, explain what's the harm that happens when you restrict movement in such a way? Well, so initially, right, when 700,000 people, which were on the 73rd anniversary of the Nakba when 700,000 Palestinians were removed from Palestine and no longer allowed back in. We're talking about that freedom of movement to go back to your home, right? When you leave your home and are exiled and then you try to come back and there's a giant wall, you know, then there's checkpoints, there's military. Um, those types of things are what the, um, what's really the issue. And um, in terms of, you know, restricting movement and all this, um, it's hard for me to see it as much more than an inconvenience to me in my in terms of my privilege in terms of you know say you're a palestinian living in gaza right now right there's no chance to ever leave gaza it's very 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 difficult for anyone born in gaza to leave so when i'm talking about the restriction of movement and such um in those instances it's not strictly 
um, you know, an inconvenience or et cetera. It's like, it's an open air prison. You know, that's what Gaza is referred to. And, you know, people who are now becoming homeless due to, you know, their apartment being buildings being leveled in a pandemic literally have nowhere to go. There's no, they can't, you know, leave the city and go be with some relatives or something. They can't leave the country and seek asylum. There is no recourse for people in Gaza who are, you know, restricted by a blockade and, you know, enclosing the city entirely. And so it's a bit it's a bit tougher for me to see to see it as much of that. And like I said, this happened a lot when I was younger, so mm. I couldn't even fully grasp the understanding of it. I just thought it was like this weird thing that I was kind of in. Um, but you know, you don't really understand that, like, oh, they're doing this to stop us from like, you know, trying to be people, right? It's uh, and so that's kind of I think my perspective on that. Um, I'm not sure if I really answered your question. I know. You asked me to elaborate a little bit, but yeah, it's it's kind of an inconvenience to me when I go there, but to the people who live under this and especially the people in Gaza and such, it's it's so much more than that. It's it's brutal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not just checkpoints that are used over there, of course. It's, you know, try to go into a boat into the open water and they will straight up open fire upon you. You know, that's just how it is. Yeah, I think the best way I can think of this is uh, there was an episode of the Ezra Klein show in which a professor, a sociology professor from Harvard, I I forget his name, uh, came on and kind of talked about how the psyche of um, black men are affected in America based on uh, even small things like them feeling that they have to dress up in nice clothing, nice clothing and a suit just to go to the grocery store and pick up some vegetables that because if they don't dress in a manner that outwardly looks... um, uber professional that they might be castigated and uh, discriminated against. Uh, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think that's uh, some of that element is happening with these checkpoints? Um, I wouldn't say specifically that mm-hmm. because there's no, there's no amount of clothing I can put on that will change how I can be perceived in that instance. It's, um, it's, you're assumed you're a Palestinian. Let me see your ID. Let me see your this. Cause when you, when you talk about the things that are happening, um, in Israel and Palestine, especially when you refer to checkpoints, um, Israelis have different colored license plates. So there's no really question, you know, you'll be at a checkpoint and then see a car with an Israeli license plate, just blow by it because of course they're not going to be stopped. Um, whereas for us, it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, you know, really anything, right? If, if, if there's any sort of issue, then it's going to become my issue. I can't really do anything about mm-hmm. it. Um, and there's also why whenever you travel in Palestine, you know, it's not it's not necessarily 100% required or whatever, but you have to have your citizenship passport. Um, you know, it's like your, um, your ID pretty much, your full ID, so that in case Israeli army needed to stop you and, you know, for whatever reason, they don't have to give a reason, of course, then, you know, you could be questioned or whatever, your ID could be taken away. Um, but you have to have it at all times pretty much. And I learned that when I was probably 14 or 15, mm-hmm. that like, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I needed to have it on me because like, if I didn't, there was going to be a problem. I'd probably be arrested even if, you know, even if I had done nothing. Mm. Um, so I think the perception thing is maybe different. Um, now inside of Israel's borders, you know, it might be a little bit different, but now recently with how it's been changing, you know, in these last couple of days, seeing the violence that is just being taken upon people in the streets of Palestine for being Arab, then that's very, that's very different. And that's like, that's nothing I've seen before. Yeah. I mean, I sp- I feel like we can probably spend the entire episode just trying to kind of pick apart some of the discrepancies that occur w- between the um, between Palestinian and Israeli life, whether it be healthcare, 
education, even opportunity, economic opportunity. But uh, you know, this ultimately is an esports show, and I do want to talk about um, how the esports industry is kind of reacting to this. I did see that uh, TSM Valorant player Sabrosa expressed his support for Palestine. Um, did his support mean anything to you in particular? So, I mean, you know, I know gamers, right? And you, you don't think of gamers as particularly empathetic people to any significant, you know, issue that is not their mm -hmm. issue. But um, at least through my own um, view, then, you know, all, all of that support, solidarity, et cetera, all that matters. Because when someone from, say, you know, like you said, TSM, it's like a fairly, you know, very large organization, mm -hmm. that matters. And um, to see people who, you know, like you said at the beginning, you know, you might, it might not be something that, you know, if you ask TSM, they'd say, no, don't say that. You know, of course, why would you say that? It's going to, you know, cause issues, et cetera. But despite that saying it, that's what matters, right? The fact that um, whatever, you know, retaliation or, you know, pushback you get from your organization, your fans, whoever else, um, when I see that and I see that that doesn't, you know, that's, that, that's not going to stop a TSM player from tweeting Free Palestine, then that's, that, that matters to me. And that, you know, that does mean a lot. Have you seen any other top players voice their support? Within the Melee community, which I am a part of, yeah, they're, you know, the best player in the world right now, people would say, you know, Hungrybox is the number one ranked player, but if you ask pretty much any Melee player, they'd say Zane is the best player in the world. And uh, yeah, he tweeted mm -hmm. about it and he's expressed solidarity with me before. Um, Asfat tweeted about it mm -hmm. earlier. Um, Slime, who's a Melee commentator and... Um, you know, kind of a big name in the community, also donated to a charity and tweeted about it uh, upon my recommendation. And so all of those little things matter so much. I'm not sure how many of them would feel pressed to say those sorts of things if I never, you know, signal boosted it into their timelines because these people are telling me like, you know, you could follow five, 600 people, all smashers, and none of them would be talking about this type of thing. Um, but it's good to see some top players, yeah, now at least take a stand. Speaking of that, I did see that you're putting together a charity smash tournament this upcoming Friday to raise awareness uh, with proceeds going to the Middle East Children's Alliance. Um, you know, I know this uh, as of this recording, you know, it's, you, you just threw this up. But what has the response been like? And are any top players like Mango, Hungrybox or Zane um, attending this event? So as for melee entrance, I'm not really sure. But the second this was kind of announced as a... Um as like a project, we've had plenty of TOs, bracket runners, multiple uh, commentators really take up initiative to help organize this. And it's been it's been really nice to see. We've had multiple um, top players come on as commentators. They're letting me and Jake Spear, who is a Palestinian commentator in Melee, do all of top eight, uh, giving us a platform. And so far, the response has been amazing. You know, I'm not like I said, I'm not sure exactly which top players are um, participating in melee singles, but there's a lot of community, mm -hmm. um, feedback and organizing around this. And it's been done very professionally, very quickly, and with a lot of passion and care. And I, I really, um, appreciate everyone who's working on that. Thank you so much. I mean, do you have any fear of, uh, you know, I, I, Twitch chat can be Twitch chat at times. Do you have any fear that, um, some people might try to take over the chat with, uh, maybe inconsiderate messaging or things that might come off as offensive? We've got the best people on the case. Um, <laughs> whenever I, I get a question like that about like, you know, Twitch chatters and stuff, I mean, in this regard, I want the event to be the event, right? Mm -hmm. um, because this isn't people personally coming after me. I mean, they might, which they have, but like when it comes to me, I'm not too worried because, you know, what are they going to do? I know we have uh, a lot of chat moderators um, who have also stepped up and said that they're going to be there from when the stream starts to the stream closes and they're going to be moderating chat the entire time and they're people that I trust. And so uh, I'm not really too worried about that. Um, of course, it's Twitch chat, right? If you see you know on the front page of melee free palestine as a 
as a name for a tournament, people might just instantly click on it and start spamming some, you know, unsavory messages. But I think in terms of people who are viewing and people watching the commentators, it's all going to be, um, I say positive. So I don't think that that's going to drag people down and that's not, we're not going to let it affect us. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, when, when, when it comes to these types of events, have you seen any kind of pushback from let's, let's say the platforms that are able to host you know, these types of events, whether it be smash.gg or Twitch. Um, I mean, Nintendo can sometimes be a little heavy handed on what events uh, the community is putting on. So in regards to political events, I have not seen that really before. There is a separate issue once where I entered a tournament and there was a special prize given to the top unranked players. And I was told mm -hmm. prior that unless I changed my tag, the sponsors who were giving that prize out wouldn't be OK with giving it to me. Um, so that's been before, but that's not really about organizing um, an event. In terms of Smash GG and Twitch, we haven't heard anything. Melee recently in February ran the Black Excellence um, Invitational, which was a uh, you know focused on the issues that Black people in this country face, and um, it was put together in kind of the same light that this Palestine event is going. And of course, you're going to have people on Twitter just say you know this is racist, etc., and just like spam you and stuff. But it's people with like you know no platform and stuff like that that you know, are just doing it to be antagonistic. So I think in terms of the spirit of the the organizing and the platforms, I think we're okay. And I think we'll do okay. Yeah, I, I think this is like one of those situations because of the grassroots nature of the melee scene and its kind of lack of support from Nintendo. They feel like they have the freedom to put on uh, more political events without fear of, you know, getting shut down. As somebody who's, you know, grown up in America as a Palestinian, and who's kind of seen the rhetoric being thrown from American politicians or people who uh, feel very strongly about, you know, what's going on uh, over in Israel. Are, are you noticing a change, like a generational change by chance? I, I know this is, uh, you know, not a, a, a question based on really statistics and really just based on your own observation, um, but like a generational change towards attitudes towards um, Palestine, you know, let's say versus maybe the silent generation or the boomer generation uh, between Gen X millennials and Gen Z. I think there's a big generational gap, and I've talked about this with a few of my friends before, and I think it mainly comes down to news sources and stuff. I think if you're mm -hmm. still mainly like a boomer and getting all of your sources from TV and maybe sometimes Facebook, then whatever you're told has been the, you know, the established kind of what America's take on this is. And so within, you know, boomer generation and stuff, it's kind of harder to sway that. But I think anyone who's, you know our age and is pressed to Twitter and talking to people and, you know, has a sort of empathy towards these events, say like the Black Lives Matter movement and all these sorts of things that are coming out. I think people have been more uh, empathetic towards our struggle. Yes. And it's it's more, OK, let me learn about what's going on, because everybody tells me it's complicated. But, you know, we'll tell you it's not that complicated and it's not it's not that you can't speak about it because people will, will use that type of rhetoric to stop people from inquiring about what's going on or to um, dissuade them in some way. So I think people in our age have, uh, have resonated with, um, you know, learning about these things and at least, um, at least giving uh, us Palestinians and people uh, in general a chance to, to tell our story. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's all we need because if you hear our story, that's, it's, it's tragic. Hmm. Well, with that, uh, thank you so much for jumping on the show, Anise. Yeah, of course. Uh, and like I said, again, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. And thank you, Dot Esports uh, Mod. You have uh, Aid Mubarak and a, and a great day. Hmm. Thank you. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to FTWMod.com. To follow Anise, you can find him at FreePalestineRN on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, find me at Imad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. Executive producers are Kevin Morris and Thomas Tischio. 
with that, we'll catch you guys next week.